season two of the JKR podcast powered by Black Cobra Sports. My name is Jay Shriglin and I'm the host. Let's dig into today's episode after a word from our sponsor. back to the JKR podcast today we have 1988 MLB draft pick round tripper owner and CEO and university high school head coach we got Chris Estep on the JKR podcast for the baseball business series powered by Old Fort Baseball coach super pumped to get you on the show how are you doing today buddy I'm doing pretty good how are you I'm, I'm doing good you know get to get to talk to you know a former only draft pick a guy that you know I've, I've known now for what three or four months or so before we started battle of indiana um you know I've, I've always had that plan of getting you and reed on the podcast i'm glad you know it's finally time for that uh but before we dig into you know your baseball career before we dig into round tripper and university i got one question i like to ask everybody that gets on the jcare podcast and that is for those who don't know you how would you introduce yourself who exactly is chris Eastep? You know, that's a great question. You know, I broken down old baseball player, you know, that, that, that's really about the best way to put it. <laughs> a legend in his own mind. Okay. Lo- love to hear it. You know, that's yeah. kind of unique answer there and not, not what I was expecting, but you know, I love <laughs> to hear it. Uh, but no, let's go ahead and briefly dig into, you know, your playing career. I saw that you were all American there at Kentucky, you know, got drafted and it was kind of take us through your collegiate career, you know, maybe that recruiting process, and, you know, how that maybe differs nowadays, you know, when guys are committing as, you know, eighth graders, freshmen, and just, just take us through that collegiate career. Um, it, I, I've got a, a wild story. I, I, I was a football player, and I had originally committed to Kentucky to play football. Well, after my junior year, I got invited to a, um, a baseball draft pre-workout. And unbeknownst to me, I was I was one of the only high school guys there. Everybody else was a, a collegiate guy. And they were from, I mean, IU, Purdue, Indiana State, Ohio State, all throughout the Midwest. And this was for the Milwaukee Brewers. So um, I go there and, and have a really, really good workout. I get invited back the next day for the game. And, you know, I... To tell you, I didn't know anything about baseball it is an understatement. Um, funny story. We're taking outfield. And the guy says, hey, listen, we're here to see pure arm strength. We want you to throw it as hard and far as you can. And we're throwing to third base. And so it comes my turn. I get it. I throw it as hard and far as I can. I threw it in a parking lot out of the high school little stadium there. And um, the scout turns to me and he says, what are you doing, son? I said, and I'm standing there really proud, you know, because nobody had thrown it that far or that hard. (laughs) And I said, I did what you said. And he goes, no, 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 you misunderstood. I want you to throw the ball to third base. And I said, oh, okay. I said, in the air or do you want it to bounce? He said, can you do both? I said, well, sure. And so I, you know, finished my round and they're laughing. And, you know, I, I just, I didn't know anything about baseball. I just played, you know, I mean, I played wiffle ball year round. I 
played, you know, there was no travel ball. Um, you know, there was Legion and I played a little Legion, but I was always getting ready for the next football season. So what ends up happening is I we get a we get a phone call the night before I'm supposed to sign. And they said, listen, this baseball thing, playing baseball, football in college, you know, this guy, Bo Jackson's doing it. And now they got a kid at Florida State, Deion Sanders, that's going to do it. We don't want that to happen here at Kentucky. And I said, well, I just want to play baseball. I said, you know, I'll, I'll play football. And, um, you know, they, they decided that it was in my best interest to, you know, they they didn't want to take that chance. So um, they reneged on the offer. And then I took three visits. I had three visits scheduled. I went to Georgia. Then I went to um, um, Kentucky again. And um, uh, I was scheduled to go to Mississippi State. And that's when they had Thunder and Lightning, Palomaro, Palomero and Clark. And uh, Bobby Thigpen, Jeff Brantley, all the big leaguers from that, you know, phenomenal, phenomenal team they had. And uh, the night I graduated high school, I'm walking out and my dad says, hey, I want to talk to you about your college decision. And and um, he said, listen, our whole family's from Kentucky. You know, I, he said, if you go to Georgia or to, um, you know, Mississippi, the chances of your mom seeing you and me seeing you play probably won't happen very often but if you go to Kentucky you know the family can see and it's easier drive for us so I said all right I'll go to Kentucky and that's how it happened okay and so, you know, so I called I committed to Kentucky that night and off to the races okay and so when you got go ahead sorry no no go ahead so when you found out that Kentucky didn't want you to play both baseball and football in college, they kind of reneged on that football offer. You were going on those three official visits, kind of going on your second recruiting process. Did any of those other schools mention, you know, maybe being a two-sport athlete like Bo Jackson, like Deion Sanders, or for the most part, was that mindset all on baseball at that point? At that point, it was all on baseball because I had just, I, you know, that's where I wanted to go. They played the defensive scheme that I liked. Um, and you know, you, you get a little butt hurt and, you know, as a 17, 18 year old kid and next thing you know, you're like, well, the hell with them. You know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, you want me to play baseball so badly? That's what I'm going to do. Okay. And um, so I get to the university of Kentucky and I I'm standing out there and I was, I was a, I was a confident kid and I kind of looked around and I said, man, this is the best the SEC has to offer. By the time I'm a junior, I'll be an All-American. And everybody just laughed. And, you know, you're, you're just a young kid coming in. And um, I was hands down the worst player in the SEC when I got there. Hands down. I knew nothing. I didn't know how to. I had no approach when it came to hitting. I had no idea angles in the outfield, what to do. I mean, I was terrible, absolutely terrible, but athletic, you know, I, I could run, I could throw, I could, you know, hit for power. Um, but at the end of it, I was terrible. And, you know, I, thankfully, you know, God was watching out because he sent me to a program where 
you know, my outfield coach played for the Yankees. Um, he had a tremendous, tremendous, I had a tremendous rapport with him and the um, amazing amount of hours that that man spent with me to make, to mold me into a player is really on him. And his name is John Butler. And, you know, for them to stick with me after my freshman year is a testament to their coaching skills. And I'm not so sure that happens anymore, especially with the portal and everything else. You know, you don't produce, they get you out of there. So you talk about how when you when you were growing up, you know, baseball, playing Legion ball, playing baseball was kind of just a way to lead you into football. I guess where did that passion come from to go to college for baseball instead of football? Kind of as you're growing up, you know, football is that main sport that you're kind of focused on. Well, um, a few years earlier, um, Gary Thurman got drafted out of North Central in the first round. Okay. Okay. Great guy. Um, and, you know, got to be really good friends with Gary and, you know, in pro ball and all, all of this, even though we were in other organizations, but um, um, actually he was a senior when I was a freshman, but um, we, we started getting some traction, you know, with, with all of this. Um, and the pro scouts that were coming in my senior year, we had never in our family had somebody go to college. Um you know, so the big thing for us was to, you know, you're going to be that first kid that goes. So I had, you know, no interest in signing or doing anything like that. It, it's not like it is today where you you get drafted, they're paying your education, um, you get your bonus money, you get whatever. So it, it was completely different back then. Yeah. So you step onto that Kentucky's campus, you know, you said you're very confident, but you walk in hands down, you're the worst SEC baseball player there that year. How did <laughs> it... <laughs> I, I'm not kidding you. Uh, yeah, I, I was the worst. I had, I, I was terrible. I was terrible. <laughs> so take us through the evolution of being the t terrible SEC baseball player to becoming an All-American there at Kentucky in the SEC. You talk, I know you talk about that rapport with your outfield coach and, you know, God was watching out for you. But what does that evolution look like? I mean, how does that happen? Um, I, I think for any player, first, you have to have you have to have the natural ability um, and, and you, you have to be you, you have to be athletic. You know, you, you got to be able to run. You got to be able to throw. You got to be able to, you, you know, you got to be able to jump. You, you got to be able to change directions. All these things that I think kids are training for more and more today. That was something that just came natural because as kids, you're jumping fences. You're doing this. You're do you don't realize some of the things that they're working on today, you were just doing. Plus, you know, if you wanted to make money back then, you were mowing yards or shoveling or you know, laying rock or whatever the case may have been. So you were always doing every, a lot of backside work. So, you know, you, 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 you do the physical labor, you do these things, you don't realize that you're building on your athleticism. So, you know, I go in um, the first, um, our first trips, games, we go to Florida. Then this tells you how much, how little I knew. Um, we're, we're down in Florida playing. And I, I think at the time we were playing, I don't know, North Florida, somebody, I, I don't remember, but I get put in to run for the catcher. And before I leave, coach Madison says, whatever you do, break up the double play. 
I was like, got it. Kid you not, I'm there and I could I I, I could run. And the ball the balls hit to the second baseman and I just closed on the shortstop and boom, I went in and broke up the double play. But I slid head first and clipped him just below the knees, flipped him, got up, I was out, I jogged back to the dugout. He goes, what are you doing? I said, I broke up the double play. He goes, you don't slide in head first. This isn't football. Go sit on the bench. You know, I mean, that's how bad. I I, I didn't know, hey, we're going to slide in feet first and all of this. And um, But then over time, we go on our first SEC trip to LSU. And I don't, I'm not on the travel roster. So I go home and... You know, I'm like, I'm leaving there. I'm, you know, they don't want me, you know, blah, 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 blah. And my dad's like, no, you made a commitment. You're going back, boy. And I was like, okay, so get back in my car, go back. We take off for Alabama and play a couple games. We, um, um, they put me in the lineup, hitting ninth. And um, my first hit was a home run. So, from there, we go to Tennessee and play an SEC, uh, start of the SECs. We lose the first two days. I don't play, but I'm, you know, on the travel roster. And um, guy gets hurt. Mitch Knox gets hurt, Gets had a bone bruise and re-injured it in BP. I get thrown in, hit in ninth. In the, um, in the top of the ninth, I got my second hit. I hit a two-run homer. So two hits, two home runs. Um, and um, I'm standing in the outfield going, oh, yeah, it's great. E-step saves the day with home run. We end up losing. They come back. Tennessee beats us in the bottom of the bottom of the ninth. So we go back home. We play a game. I start hitting ninth and hit um, uh, hit get my third hit of the year and hit a home run. So I'm three for 12, 14, whatever, with three home runs. Florida comes to town. I don't play. I'm on the roster, but I don't play the first two games. I get put in on game three and um, hit a home run. Uh, So my first four hits as a collegiate player were home runs. And then uh, my second hit was a double because it hit off the top of the wall, which would have been number five, you know, but um, ended up having a so-so freshman year and kind of got on the job training. Well, where I made my biggest jump, well, was really in the summer. Um, I got sent to Texas and uh, played for the Seguin SMI Steelers, went to Wichita to play in the NBC World Series. But all of the guys were like ex-pro players. So there, there was a guy that really helped me a ton. He was an outfielder named David Dazi and taught me how to play, you know, play the game. And uh, had a great manager, came back, had a really good fall, um, had a great year. Um, uh, we had a great year as a team. We won 40 games, um, got snubbed on the tournament. I went then I went to Alaska, uh, played there, which 
was like the Cape is today. And that was in the oil boom, you know, so that was a neat experience. Um, come back that next year had a tremendous fall. Uh, that's back when you could play, you know, a fall season. I mean, we had 15 games and I hit like 550 over those games, seven, seven home runs. Um, and then we rotated into the season that next year. And, you know, I got put on the watch list for, you know, the team USA, which was the, the Olympic team in 88. And um, we started off the year playing the university of Tampa uh, and Tino Martinez and went down and swept them um, hit three, four home runs to start the year and uh, got off to a really good start. And somewhere in there, we, we played a game. We went to Marshall to play because he was one of coach Madison's former players. So, you know, he's like, you know, coach, that'll really help our recruiting. If you guys can come here, you know, and put us on the schedule. And the night before they had a, a really, really bad thunderstorm um, and went high winds and the fence got blown down. So the next morning to get the game in, they came in and they put the fence back up. But unfortunately, when they reattached the fence, the little, you know, those little prongs, they're supposed to go down into the ground. They put the fence up with the prongs up and there was no nothing around the top of the fence. And I jumped and robbed a grand slam. And when I came back over the fence, I kind of propelled around like a helicopter and came back and I got punctured here and all the way up and the muscle came out. So um, I went from being, you know, a first round pick to a 12th round pick because they didn't know if I was ever going to throw correctly again, you know, and uh, it was kind of a long rehab process, but I played, you know, I had to sit, I missed the Alabama series and something else. And then, you know, had to come in and, and, um, and played with, with the, the issue. And, um, you know, while I was continuing to do the rehab. So I think, um, you know, I, I ended up having a pretty good year after missing as much time as I did. And I still, you know, hit 13 homers and hit really well in the SEC and all of that. Okay. So take so, us, so, Sorry, go ahead. Mm -mm. So That's take it. us. So that 1988 season, you talk about how before that injury, potential first round pick ended up being a 12th round pick to the Pirates after the injury, having a great season there at Kentucky with the injury. Take us through that MLB draft story. You know, talking to scouts as a projected top draft pick, going through yeah. that week of the draft and just what the MLB draft looked like. Well, it was um, it, it, it was it was pretty wild. Um, I. I there were on weekend series uh, when we went to Tampa, there was no less than 30 to 50 scouts every weekend. Everybody wanting to talk to you, you know, this, that, and the other, taking those tests, you know, all those things. Um, but there was also so many good players. Um, I, I mean, I, I remember um, going to bat and, there's Bobby Cox, you know, uh, I mean, it's like, wow, this is really cool. You know, I mean, and they're just huddled, packed in and, you know, the places are going wild, you know, I mean, 
but you had so much talent. You had Ben McDonald, you had uh, Greg Olson, um, Robin Ventura. We played against Oklahoma State uh, with Pat Hof, um, um, Chris Carpenter. Um, I mean, you just had so many big names. Uh, Frank Thomas was at Auburn. Um, I mean, it was just really, really, a, a, it, it was a, a fun experience. I didn't look at it as being stressful. Yeah. Um, now, after the injury, the, the phone calls weren't as pleasant because, you know, they're like, hey, you know, you've dropped 10 rounds and, you know, you've lost, you know, 100,000. Back then, I think the top pick was getting 175,000, you know, and they're like, ah, you've lost 100,000 and this, this and this and you know, you hear those things and it kind of wears on you and plays on you, especially when they call you before series is because now you just want to go out there and prove them wrong. But um, I, I thought it, I, I thought the, the, the process is trying, but I think if you're a player today and you have these high expectations, it's not about, oh, what do they think about me? The hell with what they think about you, Okay. Remember, a scout is he's trying to say why he doesn't want you. What are your deficiencies? So they're constantly trying to grade you down. You just need to go out because you have this great love of the game and perform to the highest, your highest potential every time you go out. You know, really good friend of mine told me we were coaching a travel team and he goes, look, he said, this is a wild game. The, the more you play for each other, the better you'll play, the better things will turn out for you with the draft, with baseball, with things. And you have to play for your teammates. And if you go out there and you just play because you love the game, that, that will all come through. It, it, it all gets washed. Okay. And so much of what these guys tell you, scouts and or, you know, agents or it, it, there's a lot of eyewash, you know, it, the kid kids need to go out, enjoy the game, enjoy the process and play. Don't worry about, oh, well, if I do this, I can go in this round and make this money or whatever. The, the money you make in the draft to sign isn't isn't going to change your life unless you're a top 10 pick in the first round. Um, So, you know, it, it's it's. It's one of those things that you, you need to go out, enjoy playing, listen to what everybody says, give them the most honest answers you can, and go out and prove your worth by how you play the game and your natural abilities. Okay. After that, it's pretty easy. Okay. So after that 1988 MLB draft, you end up going playing, I believe it was, what, six or seven minor league seasons, playing for the Pirates, the Reds, the Expos organizations as well. Going through, going through playing for those three different organizations. What was the difference there between, you know, how the three organizations were ran on that day-to-day, game-to-game? Um, and just take us through, you know, the minor league life and what that experience was like. It, it's a lot better now than it was then. Um, I, I think the, one of the proudest moments I ever had was when I got my first paycheck. All right. We were making a whopping $700 a month. And I think my half was after taxes was $294. And I thought that was all the money in the world because I had made it playing baseball. But no, there was, there was a lot of times that, you know, in the moment, 
you sit there and you look and you've got pirates across your chest or reds or expos or whatever. Doesn't matter. But you look at it and you go, how did I get here? And then you walk up for your at bat. You know, it always, it, I was always kind of amazed that, oh, wow, look at this, you know, of, you know, I'm playing for this organization or I'm playing for that organization. Um, it's a, it's definitely a different game. Um, it's a cattle call. And it's, it's, when I played, you had, you had extended, then from extended, there were two short season. There was a, you know, a, a, a short season that was really a little more average, like a, an appy league. And then, you know, you had New York pin league. Um, then the next year there, there were, you know, three different levels of able full season able. So there's six levels. Okay. Then you had double a triple a, then the big leagues. So you, you had, you had a lot to go through to try to get to the big leagues to, to where they are today. You have spring training, you have extended. Then after extended, after the draft, there'll be a short season a, and, but then there's one, a ball, double a triple a that's it. So they've, they, and now they've cut everything to 20 rounds instead of 50. Okay. But they've taken away a hundred jobs. So, you know, it, you're graded from year to year and whatever you did in that year, it's not, Hey, I'm going to come in make all these adjustments and win myself a job. They pretty much, they know you've been slotted to go somewhere. You, you could get stuck in extended trying to work yourself back into via an injury or poor play and you're playing well to get moved up. So the game has changed. Um, there was not a ton of movement for position players because they're going, Hey, we want you to get 350, 500 at bats. Then they're going to send you to extend or, you know, uh, the way it used to be is spring training. It was six weeks. You played about 30 games. <laughs> then you would go into your season and you'd play whatever a minor league season is, 150 games. Then uh, about a week, two weeks later, you report if you were chosen to go to um, like fall ball and you would spend another six weeks playing games. And so, you know, you, you were logging a couple hundred games a year. And uh, it was really more about the development process where now it's it's about. If I don't produce. I, you know, I, I'm a number, uh, you know, it's, I, I, I've got where in my case you had, you know, four to six years here, you've got, but, yeah, you got two years, yeah. you know, uh, unless they have a boatload of money in you. Uh, and then they're probably going to take it a little slower with you and, and go, um, you know, re back then, if you repeated a league, oh gosh, you know, my career is over. Um, you had to keep progressing through. And um, now it, it's no big deal for a guy to do a couple of years in double A. I remember when I got to double A, they were like, listen, the one thing you have to realize is you're a phone call away now. Um, so uh, the, the game has definitely changed. Uh, the pay's changed. Um, 
So, you know, I, it is, it, it's a, a, if you get off in A ball, you get off in double A, your chances of being a big leaguer is pretty good, pretty good, um, or at least getting a shot. Um, back then, you could get off and, well, hell, it doesn't matter. You know, I'm only going to move to this next one. You I, you get off. You're an all-star or whatever. I, I'm only going to move to right here. You know, so pretty wild. Yeah. So looking back at just looking back at that minor league career, what are some of those best memories that come to mind when it comes to the day-to-day, some of the relationships that you built? I mean, you played with some great ball players in college. Who were some great ball players? You may played against who made it to the major leagues. Just what were some of those oh. best memories that come to mind when you think of Pirates, Reds, Expos organization, I mean, and just your minor league career? I mean, tons and tons of guys. Uh, I, I mean, you know, you you think about, yeah, I mean, you know, Frank and I played against each other in college and then in pro ball. Uh, same with Robin. Um, same with, um, gosh, I, Delino DeShields, uh, Marquise Grissom. We were all in the same draft class. Tim Wakefield, Okay. Wheatfield came in as a first baseman and I mean, couldn't hit, couldn't hit. Don't ever let him tell you he could hit. He couldn't hit. Okay. He was a pretty good first baseman, but he couldn't hit. I mean, he was set. He's got one of the greatest stories I've ever heard. Um, and I actually was there to witness it. Um, he just could not get out of short season as a hitter. And and he was a Florida boy. Everybody knew him. The organization knew him. He was really well liked. Good guy. They're go. They sent Woody Heike, um, who he had a really strong relationship with, to New York to the Penn League to release him. And they wanted somebody. They just didn't want a random, you know, manager releasing him, which I thought was a really not really awesome thing. And so he goes to release him, and he. He walks out and Tim's out there playing catch, throwing this knuckleball, and nobody could catch it. Everybody's trying to take turns on catching this. He walks back to the clubhouse because there was no cell phones back then and says, hey, um, I got an idea. We're not going to release Wakefield today. Next thing you know, they start him pitching. Finishes out the year. They bump him to a ball does really you know pretty well they brought in i think charlie huff to work with him in the off season and then in spring training and goes to salem gets off absolutely gets off goes to double a gets off next thing you know wakefield's in the big leagues and pitching in the nlcs and nobody can hit him and you know you remember that song can't touch this you know and that was his song every every inning they played god i hated that song after that because they played it every inning for him and he he was just filthy that thing was so nasty i mean you know what he had a couple hundred wins in the big leagues he pitched in world series had a great great career did a lot of great stuff in boston after pittsburgh um and just an all around, just a really good fellow, you know? So, I mean, there was, he's a great story. Um, I mean, 
gosh, you know, Reggie Sanders. Uh, I mean, there are just tons and tons of guys that, you know, you, you, you play against and, uh, you know, you, you know, you're just in, you're kind of in awe of things they do, you know, just as they were probably in all things that we did, you know? So I, it, it was a, it was an enjoyable experience. It, it was tough, I'm sure. you know, so it, it definitely gives you, you have to start to understand what a work ethic is and how to, how to control yourself because there's an enormous amount of failure. And that's the biggest thing for young guys to start to realize is, Hey, you know, I I come out of high school or I come out of college and you got to remember there's 20 guys in your draft class that are just as good as you are. And there's another hundred guys just as good as you the key to that, the the key to moving is staying mentally, you know, even keel all the time. And that's that's the tough part of the game. You you can't have peaks and valleys. You can't go up and down. You you just got to go, hey, you know, had a great day. Hey, had a bad day. You know, throw it away, eat, get your rest, get back to the park and get after it again. All right, so after that baseball career comes to an end, you know, get done playing with the Pirates, Reds, Expos. It's not much longer, you know, after that, you start round tripper. Kind of take us through your baseball career comes to an end. You know, what happens next when it comes to the whole idea phase and actually starting round tripper? Um, I had thought about it for a long time that this was, you know, you you, you start doing something and you do it, you know, 24-7, 365, and – Honestly, that that's all you know. And I remember my dad telling me, he was like, Chris, you have such a great mind. Why are you going to waste it, you know, doing this? And I'm like, no, dad, I can make this work. So, you know, first year, you know, I we get it rocking and rolling. And, and um, it, what I thought was we had done so well, I think we had done like, 125 grand, you know, I'm over there bragging. My dad's like, Chris, he goes, I make more than that in a year. And I'm like, really? You know, and it just burst my bubble. But then we grew by 232%, something crazy the next year. And it kept growing. Um, This business isn't for the faint of heart. I mean, you're going to have to like to work seven days a week uh, because that's, that's what it calls for. Uh, But, you know, I, to start round tripper, um, I, everything I'd signed for, I put away and done all of that. But to, when I started round tripper, I had um, um, $36 cash and, uh about twenty thousand dollars on a credit card and that's how it started so i bought 36 dollars worth of flyers found a little league that would let me come in and run summer camps and started running summer camps and doing all those things and you know putting the name out there and um that's how it started okay so with from going from that to where I mean where you guys are at now where you're sitting in that mezzanine sixty five thousand square feet you know was there a build when exactly did you guys you know get a building for Round Tripper and take us through you know how that grew there in those first couple of years? 
Well, we had a, um, we opened up in Carmel and we, <laughs> I, uh, I went in to rent the building. So I had a couple of buddies uh, borrow $5,000 from each one of them because I had to pay a first month and last month rent. Okay. So he said, I said, well, I've got the money for first round, first month and last month. And he's, he's looking and he goes, well, I need financials. So I said, okay, I'll bring financials. So had a little candy computer and falsified all the financials. Took it into him. He goes, hey, this looks great. I said, all right. And gave him 10 grand and the round tripper was started. And, you know, started bu building the mail list through what we had done in, you know, all of this. I, I remember this one lady came in and, you know, she's like, well, why should I buy a membership? Who knows if you guys are even going to be around? And I'm like, we're going to be around. Uh, I said, we're not failing. You know, when you when you fail at something that you truly love and have a passion for, like I did professionally, I, I mean, you can look back at it now and say, oh, you know, not many people get to do what you did. It, in my eyes, it was a failure at the time. And so I wasn't going to fail again. And so we started in on this and, you know, I now 30 years later, you know, I hate to take a day off, you know, I mean, you call it a workaholic or whatever, but you, you know, that, that, that failure, that belief that you failed is so strong that you, you know, you, you don't want it to happen again. I never want to have a bad month. I never want to have a bad day. You know, I never want to give a bad lesson. <laughs> um, you know, I'm a stickler with how we're teaching and the attention we give so many times, you know, they try to get the parents away from the kids when they're teaching them. I love that the parents are involved because they're, the parents are going to be with them way more than I am. Um, I think that's something that sets us apart from a lot of people, you know, when you're on a stage, when you're teaching. So, you want to be the very best that you can be every time you teach. And, you know, we, I started that when we first got started and, you know, I continue it today. So when you were getting started beyond, you know, your dad telling you, Hey, like, you know, you should go, go do something else. You know, he was, you know, at, at all, you know, hundred percent for this goal, this dream that you had beyond that, you know, what were some of the toughest parts of that process, you know, maybe convincing people, you, you mentioned that girl who said, what if you guys aren't around? Just take us through some of those toughest parts as well. Um, well, it was definitely, you know, making payroll, making your rent payment, feeding yourself. Because when you're an entrepreneur, when you're just a startup like we were, I mean, there was there was no industry there, like it is today um, where the barriers of entry is. 10 million dollars or 14 million or whatever the case is um you know it was you know <clears throat> where are the people going to come from and that's why you always had to be good that's why you always had to be on and um it was touch and go for a lot of those times when you first get started and i'm you know there's a many a night that I was up all night at a card table <laughs> winning payroll, you know? I mean, 
it's no different than any other story that you hear from anybody else that had this vision or belief that, hey, I can make this happen. I can turn this idea into a reality, into now what we have brick and mortar. Um, at the end of the day, we're a service business and you have to give great service and you have to be good. The kids have to get better. So it has to be able to translate onto the field. And um, I give kids my cell phone number, parents my cell phone number, text me. Just text me a video. I can fix it right there. You know, try to get this angle so I can see the picture when the timing mechanism is starting and what's happening, the path of the barrel, you know, what's happening, you know, are we working into the ground to become linear out in front and go? Um, you know, I it, it's just one of those things that I I haven't lost. I'm as passionate now as I was 30 years ago when first started doing this. So, okay, you know, the tough times, I, you know, the, the hard, you know, is what makes it great. It, it, if it was easy, everybody would do it. Um, you know, it's, you know, I, I, I just, I, for me, I, 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 I like to be pushed. I like competition. And, you know, you hear this place is open or this place is opening. Well, that just means we're going to get sharper and sharper and better and better. And that's what, you know, keeps us on top. Yeah, I believe. Yeah. So starting out there in Carmel, you know, you mentioned now you're in that brick and mortar building. How long does it take for you guys to move out of Carmel, go to a different building? And then even nowadays where you have the Indiana Mustangs, when did that come into play for it's beyond actually, you know, baseball training to where now you guys have your own travel baseball teams, you know, those two steps there, you know, when, when did that whole process go on? Never wanted to get into the team business. Okay. So spent two years on, um, in the first initial building, we grew, moved to a bigger building, more cages. So from four cages, two mounds to eight cages, three mounds. And, um, were was there for probably I don't know four years, and then um, uh, was able to get a group put together, and we built the initial, you know, thirty, roughly forty thousand square feet. Um, then, um, I took after all those years, I took the money out that I had signed for. And we bought the land behind us and put the three fields in because <laughs> we saw a need. I mean, that, um, you know, teams were traveling all over the place and started running different, you know, tournaments and things of that nature. Not on a, you know, a humongous scale, but, you know, 30, 40 team tournaments. Um so there was something going on here every weekend, all the time. Well, um, before we had made the move to build the, the first part of the building, um, guy came to me and he was like, hey, I've got this team and we're pretty good. Um, we want to change names. And so I'm with the guy and 
he's like, look, I have a, a great job. His dad was actually a CEO of a hospital. So he worked for his dad, but he had a lot of free time. And so um, we started training that team. And amazing how this happens. He walks in one day and he goes, um, the hospital just got sold and I've, I'm going to lose my job and I've got to go to work. And so he said, I won't be able to coach this year. So now I've got these 20 kids and their parents and, um, they're like, Hey, we want to, um, we want to, um, we want you to coach. And I'm like, ah, man, that you guys, the schedule you have and what you're going to do, I don't know how I'm going to pull this off. And so, you know, I got all these kids looking at me and the next thing you know, I'm the coach of what was now the Indiana Mustangs. And I tra <clears throat> trained them all year. So it only made sense that I took them. Well, I'd never done a plate meeting before. I was more nervous than the kids when I went out to my first plate meeting. And I'm like, God, this is different. You know, the, the spectrum, it's come full circle. You know, it's like, you're not the kid playing, you're the kid coaching. And, you know, I'm what, 28 years old and, and coaching a group of, you know, 17, 18s. And we're, we get in bands and we're on the road for three weeks and going to all the high level tournaments and, you know, all the kids are getting signed and meeting all the college coaches and doing all these things. And, you know, so many of the tournaments back then were you had to have somebody call on your behalf. So the Memphis Tigers were running this massive tournament, massive. And it was by invite only. So I call the guy and I'm like, look, we really want to get into your tournament. And he goes, Chris, I know who you are. I watched you play in college and followed your pro career. He goes, but you're going to have to have somebody that vouches for you. And I said, okay, give me a few minutes. So I called Coach Madison. He would call um, this the guy that ran the Tigers. And I called Ron Polk and asked Coach Polk if he would, you know, give him a call. And uh, – about an hour later, I get a call back from Keith, the guy that ran the uh, the Memphis Tigers, and he said, hey, you guys are in. He goes, now you better perform well. He goes, but man, you got some high, you got some big friends in some big places. He said, Coach Madison and, and Coach Polk called me on your behalf. And that's how it all began. And um, it was, it was it, it's been a really good ride. And from there, you know, this group would come in and say, hey, we want to be a part of this and all the training that's going on. And the Mustangs are not a an organization that is, hey, we find the best players and just give them that platform to go out and play. You know, we get the, the players that we want to make sure that we are giving them the best training that they can possibly get and going out and, you know, getting them to play. We, we, we try not from like eight, U, nine, U, 10, U, 11, 12, 13. We, 
we want those kids playing at what they're what they think their natural positions are going to be. Um, we don't try to put any what you would call super teams together at that age group. Um, you know, w- w- if we have three teams, you've got three shortstops, and more than likely, those three shortstops could play on one team. But we, at that age, we don't know if that kid's going what he's going to be. Um, so, you know, we, we, we let them develop naturally, you know, we do our stuff, our, our 20 weeks during the winter. Um, and then they go out and play winning and losing is not a big deal at that point. Now with the recruiting, the way it is, as they're going rolling into that eighth grade year, we start to put some of the pieces together and then, you know, we've got, you know, um, a national team and what you might call a regional team. Um, and, and then the other groups behind there, you know, because it, what's going to happen from 14 to 16 is really a big time. And th- they have to have the ability to develop, you know, as, as a pitcher, as they need their innings, they need, you, you may have, two guys that play short. So you're moving those guys around and it's good for them to understand how to play short, third, second, um, maybe get dumped in the outfield. Um, uh, but it, it's a, it, it's a pretty, it, if you do it right, you know, you, you, you're, you don't have to go outside a lot of times and, Oh, I, I've got to make four or five roster changes. You're adding, to what you already have is this group that knows how to play the game and that, you know, they've been going through athletic development and getting better and better and better. And then, you know, they're going to grow, they're going to mature. And now you've got a player. Yeah. And, you know, I, I go through the, I will have no less than 10, 15, phone calls a day on different age groups from different schools that are looking at our kids. And, you know, it, it takes a lot of the day, but, you know, we, we have to have kids come in. We do quick, quick shots, you know, five swings, X number of pitches on a bullpen, what's going on. And now we're sending them out to all these coaches that are interested in them. So, you know, we really try to do our best to, you know, make sure we're doing the marketing on their end for them. Um, And it's a far cry from how it used to be on that first team of where there was only X number of tournaments and X number of teams. Now, you know, you've got to get out and beat the bush because only so many coaches can go out. Only so many guys can be in Georgia and there's 300 and some teams. So, You've got to do your due diligence up front. Plus, you're getting inundated with emails uh, from different coaches across the country wanting to see guys. So you're constantly, your days as a coach in Georgia, for instance, they're really long. Um, You only play one game a day, but you're there an hour before the team gets there talking to different coaches. You're there an hour afterwards about who the next starting pitcher is going to be, what's going to happen, and all the different guys that have said they want to see that guy throw. 
Yeah. So, you know, and you're answering tons of character questions, tons of different questions about grades and this and, you know, the student athlete. So, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into it. But yet again, you know, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. And you, you have to do right by the kids that you're coaching or the kids that are in your organization. And um, I think that's a, you know, I, I, I think that's just a part of the job description. Yeah. So going from the initial brick and mortar building that you had for round tripper, having that first team that came out to be the first Mustangs to where you're at now, 65,000 square foot, bunch of, I believe Reed said there's 35 to 40 Mustang teams this year. You know, when did, when did in that process that you decide, okay, maybe I need to add somebody on beyond me. Can't be a one man show anymore. Take us through, you know, hiring additional people to that round tripper team, what that looked like and kind of what you were looking for as you started, you know, maybe adding a couple people to the team. Um, I'm kind of a stickler when it comes, if I, if I can hire one guy a year, I'm pretty happy, but they have to demonstrate that they can teach and they have the same like kind passion. They don't have to be over to the top and work seven days a week uh, like me. Um, But when they're in the cages or they're on the field or they're coaching, you know, we want guys that are passionate. Um, And, you know, sometimes you get the younger guys that you bring in to coach or do certain things. And, you know, there's an incubation period, so to speak, that you kind of like got to let them grow. Um, uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I used to say all the time, hey, I, uh, I, I, I run off more instructors than I keep. Um, but now the way we go about doing our hiring, we're much better at identifying those guys that really want to coach, really want to do those things. It's not just the body. Um, nobody wins when you just put a, a fungo with a hat on. So the guys that we have here are tremendous, tremendous instructors. Um, always trying to identify and keeping up with the new terminology, the new way that things are happening. I mean, you know, you you look at something like driveline. I mean, we were doing driveline stuff back in the 80s. You know, this is nothing new. This isn't, oh, my gosh. You know, do we have a better understanding of the human body and biomechanical movements and things like that? Yes. And not every instructor is going to understand that. But if if he has the passion or she has the passion, the number one thing is to help develop them to understand how the body moves in space and how we have to take, you know, uh, a cylinder and strike a sphere squarely and make sure that, you know, we're putting it into terminology that a kid 10 years old can understand. And, you know, a pro guy can understand because the swing is the swing. There's not two swings. Okay. You know, this stuff you hear, Oh, launch angle. And there's no such thing as launch angle. It's exit angle, okay? If you know anything about hitting, okay, it's where you're striking the ball that gets the ball in the air. So, you know, our goal is to identify the pitch, the zone, and hit the ball in front of our eyes. The deeper we hit the ball, the flatter the plane. The further I catch the ball out, the higher the plane. So what ends up happening is the the more I hit it out in front, the better chance I have to backspin that ball and drive it. 
the deeper I catch it, the flatter the plane, the more of a line drive swing that I'll have. Okay. So, so on from on the instructor side for you, you know, going when you went to Kentucky, got to Lexington, you said no approach, didn't really know what was going on there in the batter's box. How, how does that go from that to where you're at now to where, you know, you're instructing kids on that day-to-day basis, you say seven days a week on that instructor side, you know, how does that grow and where does that knowledge come from? You, you want to know where it comes from? A lot of strikeouts. You, you walk, you wear a path out from, from home plate to the dugout. You start to figure out how to hit and who to listen to and who can help guide you to become a better hitter that can give you that better approach. And a lot of those guys were pitching coaches telling you how they're going to get you out. Well, how do I, okay. How many times have you seen a kid come up faces a lefty right-handed hitter breaking ball? They try to pull it because, Oh, the ball's coming into me. No, that's wrong. Spin Williams was telling what he was trying to tell all of us. We, we were going to face a lefty that night. He threw BP to the starters. And then he would mix in breaking balls, breaking balls, breaking balls. He says the plane, the arc that you see the ball come in on is the arc it needs to leave. So if he's backdooring you or he's getting to the outer third of the plate, I'm hitting that ball to right field. The only ball I'm going to pull is if he tries to back foot me and I've got to have the bat speed. And that ball, you can usually, you usually hit that ball. If you're a good hitter, you don't pull that pitch. You hit it straight away center field for a home run. Same with a fastball down and in. You see these guys wear these pads all the time on their ankles and all that? It's because they swing with their shoulders, okay? They don't use their hands. That ball, if I can stay inside and I've got the bat speed, I'm hitting that ball 450 straight away. Easy. You know, and it, it you just start to learn all the different things. And then once you get in, like with me, once I got into – the teaching, I became a sponge of learning everything I possibly could, watching different things, watching different people talk, going to different seminars, asking questions, then taking my experiences of failure and success and figuring out, oh my gosh, you know, look how easy this is. You know, I, if I could have had me when I was playing, hell, I'd still be playing. Not very well, you know, but, I, <laughs> but you know, I could still be playing. Uh, no, I'm kidding. But uh, at, at the end of it, it is it's one of those things that, as I told you before, you know, once you fail, you never want to fail again. So for me, it is staying on top of everything, making sure the staff is staying on top, writing plans of how that are all age appropriate that we are going to make these kids the best they can possibly be at their given age groups. Um, I I think that's, I think all in all, that is the single most important thing. And, you know, and it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, infielders, corner infielders, middle infielders, outfielders, you know, how we're throwing, what we're doing. Um, kids understanding because once they start to understand the game now they start to develop a little bit of baseball iq um really quick story for everybody that may listen to this you want your kid to be a really good player play wiffle ball play wiffle ball okay 
how many times have you played wiffle ball and you know you've got two guys whatever you get a ball you fake it the guy comes off and you tag him because he thinks you're throwing the ball across how many times do you see that in a regular game a pump fake and bam now i got the guy in the pickle you the, the baseball iq is so limited because there's so many games it's just games 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 and you know it's and it's not necessarily practice because that's structured. It's sandlot. It's it's playing wiffle ball and letting the kids figure it out. Adults only screw stuff up. That's the truth. Kids have little confrontations, issues. They figure it out because they just want to play. Okay. All right. All right. All right. He's out. Let's go. Let's play. You see it. We see it all the time. And. Kids figure it out. You know, it's us that kind of screw it up sometimes. It's like my high school team. I, if I can stay out of their way, they're pretty talented. You know, they'll, they'll do a good job. You know, it's when I interject myself that, you know, I screw them up. I just got to let them play, yeah. you know, and then we'll talk about it afterwards. But go out there and make your mistakes, but learn from your mistakes. Okay. You know, and, you know, it's, it's not one of those things of, we want all this pressure. The game's supposed to be fun. And we, I think we lose that because of the, the internet and social media and all these things. See, now you got me on my soapbox, you know, <laughs> and the kids need to go out, play the game, enjoy playing, play for each other. And all this stuff will work out where they're supposed to be is where they'll land. You know, and I know every parent thinks, oh, I got the next Derek Jeter. I got the next this. I got the next that. Only if he can do it on the field. And he's got to show that he has this passion for the game. And, you know, and we've got some kids in the state that they have that passion. They want to go out. They want to compete. They don't need anything. They don't have anything to worry about. Those guys are going to be stars. So it's kind of exciting, you know. So you mentioned your you mentioned your high school team there. Let's dig a little bit into University High School baseball. So with, like you know, with you starting round tripper there in 1993, start starting coaching the Mustangs. How long did it take for you to become a high school coach there at university? Um, I think I let's see what is this fifteenth year? Okay, and yet again, uh, I didn't want to do it and. Wild story. You'll love this. This guy, this athletic director, a guy named Stan Colasano, he he is wearing me out. I'm like, I can't coach. I can't coach. I can't coach. You know, I, we're doing okay, but it's still, man, it's a struggle. And I'm like, I, I just don't have time. And boom, 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 boom. I walk in one day and I'm walking in and the lights are off and there's this guy and I'm like, Somebody's trying to rob us. So I'm getting ready to get after somebody. And he walks up and he goes, Chris. And I'm like, man, Stan, what are you doing? He said, listen, you got to coach this team. I said, Stan, I don't think you understand. I said, no, I can't do it. And he goes, well, if you don't, these kids can't play baseball. I was, All right, I'll do it. So um, first year I coached these guys, our very first game, we go out, we play Chitard. 
we got beat 32 to nothing. 32 to nothing. Here you are, Johnny Baseball, you know, throwing it out there. We go out there, we get beat 32 to nothing. So we struggled playing catch. We struggled in a lot of every facet of the game. We struggled. Um, And I, I told the guys, I said, listen, I said, this isn't going to get any better. I said, so I, I, I'll tell you what. You guys just bring your uniforms in. I, I know you're embarrassed. You know, I, I, I get it. I said, but it, sometimes the game's just not meant for you. And I said, you know, this is that situation. And I said, look, just bring your stuff in and we'll tell them that, hey, you know, we gave it a shot, but, you know, it just didn't work out. Um because nobody should go through that. I mean, it was, it was horrible. And they were trying to make outs and we, we couldn't get, we couldn't get them out. So <clears throat> I had something that day and I come in and I get here late in the day. I probably like three, three thirty, And what do I see? They still have their uniforms on. They put their uniforms back on and they're playing catch. And they come to me and they go, we don't want to quit. And I said, well, there's going to be more whippings like that, but if you want to get better, we're going to have to start all the way back at square one, like you were eight years old, because you got to learn to catch. Somebody's going to get killed. And lo and behold, we had to buy two helmets with face masks because they just couldn't catch. And so all the time I'm hearing clunk, clunk, <laughs> where they're getting hit in the head. And, and, you know, you, they, you, you always hear the story, hey, you know, you, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, they taught me, you know, that if you have the pure love for the game, you know, that, hey, anything's possible. So we we started figuring out, all right, we're getting beat in five innings. If we can play six innings, that's a win for us. We, we've got to pick our battles. We know we're not going to win any games. Well, we got to the point where at by the end of the year, we were playing full sevens. We weren't getting beat by 10 after five. And basically, hey, we had a great year. Next year, come back, same thing. We lose every game, but we play a lot of games. So I maybe year three, we're playing, and um we're sitting there and I'm going, Hey, we got a shot to win this. We're actually playing Sheridan and we win first win in program history, taking three years, the kids dogpile. I'm like, get up, get up. It's this regular season game. I said, act like you've done this before. And as I'm walking through the line, I'm going, they had never done that, you know? And that was, that may be one of the most gratifying wins ever for me personally. Um, you know, that they stuck with it and got better and better. And then the program kept getting better and better and better and better. And, you know, kids that could play a little bit started showing up and wanted to, um, um, you know, looking for a private school education and, um, 
you know, some kids that were kind of what you would call cast offs from other high schools that still wanted to play, but maybe couldn't play for one of the big high schools started coming in and, and the program started building and building and building. And, um, you know, we went to a state championship and got beat. Um, then we came back the next year and won it. And, you know, we've had a pretty good run. Um, yet again, this year, as I say, every year we've, we've got a lot of talent. We're young, but we have a lot of talent and, you know, we're fairly poorly coached, but if we can stay out of their way, they got a shot to be pretty good. All right. So getting that chance to evolve that university program there for 15 years or so coaching travel baseball for the past, what is it? 28, 29, 30 years. You know, what are some of those big differences you've seen from high school to travel baseball? And is there a different, is there a mindset shift in your eyes as that head coach and you're coaching in the summer compared to the spring? What does that kind of look like? And just what is that comparison? Um, you know, that's a great question. Um, because there is a difference. Um, I, I would say that high school, you, you go to school with these guys every single day. Okay. So it's more community driven in terms of the thought process. The, these guys, um, you know, they're in the weight room together. They're, they're throwing together. They're, they're, they're together with each other all year long. OK. Um, and then you have that sense of pride that you're playing for your school. Travel ball is, you know, in a lot of cases, like with our national team. You know, you're going. Wednesday, you know, you're showing up, you're playing Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, breaking out Monday, Tuesday. Guys are doing stuff on their own then you meet back somewhere else or you're just going from Georgia to Nashville to Cincinnati, uh, wherever. Okay. Um, it is, that is, and the play, you know, baseball is baseball. Okay. The same thing you coach in high school, same thing you're coaching in travel ball. Um, the, the, the whole travel ball thing is it's a, a little bit different mindset. You're trying to bring in the same belief system that you're going to play for each other. You're going to do this, um, which can be sometimes a little more difficult, uh, especially if you're a part of a national group and you have kids coming from different regions of the country. Um, so, you know, you're, you're coming in and, you, you know, they're also – they're playing for money, you know, they're, they're playing for those scholarships. Not that you don't in high school. Um, you know, I, I used to say all the time, you know, the, the high school seasons like spring training leading into when all the college coaches are going to be on top of you. Well, what, what we, we've seen a little bit of a shift. Um, we're starting to see more college scouts, definitely more pro scouts with hooker. Um, but it, it's, um, the two are getting closer and closer and closer together where there it used to there used to be a divide in my opinion so when it comes to when it comes to travel baseball as a whole obviously when you started there a long long time ago with the first mustangs team you know travel baseball like you mentioned you know is a big part of that whole recruiting process how have you seen travel baseball evolve here in these past 3 decades or so 
Um, I, I it's I, I'll tell you with with perfect game with um, PBR future stars now that is going to be a big player in the industry. Um, you know, they're starting. You you get a collection of the better teams. Um, the more national type driven teams at certain tournaments that you want to make sure you're playing in um, because that's naturally where the college scouts are going to be a year from now, you'll start to see more, some scouts, cross checkers, different people showing up um, watching summer games, um, which had never happened before. Um, you, Naturally, there's more teams, more tournaments than ever before. So the good thing, there's good and bad to that. Um, if you have a, a developmental team, so to speak, there's a place for them to go for those kids to continue to get better, to chase that dream versus throwing them into this pot where these guys are, you know, he athletically may be able to hang and is an equal, but from a skill set standpoint, because he plays football, basketball, and baseball, it, it's a little tougher for him. Um, so he, he's got a chance over here on this side to, um, um, you know, hone his skills a little more um, so he can make that big jump and, you know, get into the mix with, you know, the collegiate side of things. Um, but, you know, has the game evolved? I mean, yes and no. Um, you you see, you know, you, every time you, we used to walk on the field and, you know, you, you were, if you didn't run a 6'6", six, six, you were kind of slow. Well, there's not as much emphasis on speed. Okay. If you have it, it's great because now you can put more pressure. Um, guys are trying to drive the ball more. That's the nature of the beast. That's what's wanted. So you see fewer hit and runs. You see fewer guys playing small ball. Um, you find there's a lot of teams that really can't defend that. You, yeah. And so, um, I'm from the old school, so to speak, that we're prepared for any situation and we work on butt defenses, both both at the travel and at the, you know, at the um, uh, high school level. Um, we, we, because we can't get together as much um, with the travel team, when we go out to play, we're probably going to show up uh, a good hour and a half before we're supposed to play. So we're getting, and we'll break up into three groups and run different things, either defensively, offensively, um, hitting, bunning, uh, whatever, balls the other way, moving runners. Um, we'll go through some of those stations. Um, so we're trying to get a practice and a game. Um, and I know a lot of groups don't work that way. 
Uh, but, you know, that's something that I think is really important because at the end of the day, you want to be able to tell a coach, look, I, this kid's well-rounded, you know. He's got a baseball IQ. He can do this. He can do this. Da, 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 da. You know, that kid's more prepared physically, mentally to walk in there and go um, and, and make an impact as a freshman. So, you know, I, I think that's really, really important that, you know, those are things that we work on. We constantly work on as, as infielders, not we're moving our feet, but we're throwing on the run all the time because, you know, the game's getting faster and we've got to make sure that that's happening, that we're defending that way. So um, from those standpoints, you know, has the game changed? Yeah, a little bit, you know, but no, it, the game's always going to be the game. And, you know, you may coach it a little different, but at the end of the day, I, you know, um, just tons of the changes, a lot of teams, a lot more teams. Yeah. You know. So you mentioned Hooker there a little bit ago. Kind of take us through just the outlook on, you know, this year's university team, what those expectations are. I know you guys are ranked pretty high within the IHSAA PBR rankings. And then even the outlook on, you know, your Indiana Mustangs team, as you guys said into the summer, just, you know, what are those expectations and, and the outlook on both of those teams? Um, I think all of them are both the, well, university, we have shot to have a pretty good year. You know, um, we don't want to be great right now. We want to be great in late May, 1st of June. You know, I, um, so we, we want, we want to play the toughest schedule. We want to play the best teams, win or lose. We can take from that and go, all right, in our practices, this is what we've got to get better at. This is the guys understand, Hey, I may have to spend more time on my own working on this, that, or the other, um, um, pitchers understanding how I'm going to manipulate the zone, you know, catchers block and scramble throw, um, just regular throws. I want them to throw the ball around all the time, all positions, um, started playing. We're going to be playing. We play games where outfielders are throwing at hats or, you know, We'll put two sandbags out, and that's your mark, you know. So we're we're trying to make sure that every play we have a chance to make a play. Um, the Mustangs, um, uh, they're going to be pretty good at all levels, I think. Um, you know, their big thing: compete, compete, compete. You know, you compete, you give yourself a chance to win. You win. You know, you get to be seen more. Um, and, you know, I think that's uh, I, I think that's pretty much it in a nutshell. You know, if, if you compete, you, you're you can you give yourself a chance to win. Nobody's going to give you a win. You've you've got to win. Yeah. But if you don't compete for it, you don't have a shot to win. All right, so a big project that Round Trippers kind of working on right now. I talked with Reed about this earlier. The Miracle League. I know that was something we talked about when we talked for our first time back four, five months ago or so. But you know, take us through, you know, where the idea came from, you know, what this process has been on getting this project started. Kind of take us through, you know, the Miracle League at Round Tripper. Um, 
So what ends up happening is um, um, the Hoffman family came in and they really wanted um, their daughter had went through um, a terrible, terrible bout of, of cancer. And um, she absolutely loved sports and um she wanted the uh, they wanted the ability they were looking at how much money they were going to have to try to start to raise to buy land and build a parking lot and build a miracle field and this 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 and so i think they were going through that process and they were like good lord you know that's gonna that's gonna be a lot and we came he came to me and said hey i want to run something by you and he goes how about we take your third field and we turn it into a turf field, Miracle League field. Um, and with that comes a lot of different ADA regulations. And it took about five seconds to go, hell yeah, let's do that. You know, and that's, I think that is, you know, you, you I think helping people that you don't even know their names is a great thing. And, you know, I can't wait for the first time all those little kids get to come and, and play because a lot of times they're, they're the ones that are always tag-alongs with their older siblings, if it's soccer or baseball or football or whatever the sport is, lacrosse. Um, they're the tag-alongs and there's no fields and I don't think there's any fields in Indiana and miracle fields. And from what I've heard, you know, a lot of those things, they're played on parking lots and this, that, and the other. And so we, we just decided very quickly that, Hey, this is something to get behind. This is a great thing. And it's going to help a lot of children and adults alike um, to give them the opportunity to play the great game of baseball. And I'm uh, 100% behind it. And, you know, it makes perfect sense for what we've been doing for 30 years to just try to help kids. So, um, you know, we're actively taking donations to, you know, make this dream become a reality and uh, we're going to get it done. I promise you that. Okay. So, so beyond, you know, getting donations and, you know, raising money for, you know, what are some of those next steps to completing that project and getting that done for the miracle field at round tripper in Westfield? What, well, we've 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 already got the drawings uh, completed. We've got the you know the different things that although all of that footwork has already been completed. Um, so now it's about getting the dollars necessary to to put it all together. So it, it'll be a. I'm hoping that everything comes together the way we're we're planning and we start the project right after right after tryouts and the whole project as long as we have good weather should take us about five weeks or so to complete okay so you know i gotta figure out what my drop dead date is to order you know the turf and all of that and we've had a a lot of people step up, uh, uh, companies, uh, Martin Marietta for one, 
um, that's going to help out with every all the under drains, the 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 stone compaction and sand and things like that. And um, uh, Gary Wood from Noblesville will do the um, uh, installation. Um, there's a couple of other people that are going to help out, um, and it, it's it's going to be uh, it's it's going to be a really neat project. One of the cool things that we want to do next year, once the fields in, um, we we we're we're wanting to get kids from Illinois, Michigan, um, um, Kentucky, Ohio, and Indiana. And let them have their own Miracle League World Series, you know, something different, you know, that those kids get to, they get to feel what their brothers and sisters feel when they go to a big tournament or a World Series. Um, they'll get to experience that. And um, I, I'm not sure who came up with that idea, but I was like, oh, that is brilliant. You know, we, we've got to make sure and do that, Yeah, you know, and I, I think it'll be well received and. You know, it's just a, it's just going to be the, the one thing that I like that we're doing that's different from other leagues around the country is no kid will ever pay. Um, it, it, if they want to play, they've got a place to play. So it, it's going to be, it's going to be really, really cool. Okay. Awesome. I'm, I'm looking forward to you know see, seeing how that project rolls out. Yeah, you'll have to come out. You'll have to come out on day one. I'll be there. Um, so I got two more questions here for you real quick. Um, so you mentioned the, tr you mentioned, you know, if this project's probably gonna get rolling after tryouts, what does that tryout process look like for the Mustangs? You know, what are you guys going into every season? What does that look like? What are you guys looking for? How do you guys go about, you know, constructing the teams? Just take us through that tryout process. Um, that's really a lot of that's left to the individual coaches that are, um, taken over or, you know, moving up with their teams that they see, Hey, I need, uh, I need a left-handed hitting first baseman. Um, I need a right-handed arm, uh, whatever that is. They kind of know going in what their needs are. Um, and then, you know, you, you, you always get surprised at tryouts, you know, a kid or 10 <laughs> show up and you're like, wow, that kid's really good. Um, I think we look at athleticism more than we look at just pure fundamentals because we know that we can help develop all of those fundamentals. Um, but it's, um, every year it changes. Um, sometimes groups don't say, hey, we're standing pat. We had a great year. We've got great families, you know, the kids really enjoy each other and, you know, there's, we're not adding, or we're going to add one player, but we're keeping everybody. Um, so, and that happens more often than not. Um, but, you know, we, the tryout process, I think is one of the better ones because it's kind of a teaching tryout. Um, they come in, they're trying out. I mean, we'll, we'll start to correct guys right in the middle of the tryouts because well, one you want to see can they take coaching you know and boom they're able to make that and so look how and the kids like wow that was so much easier you know uh, and whatever the case may be and we do it with the fielding the hitting the outfielding the pitching um 
And they're, you know, it, those are a couple of tough weeks because there's so many kids and, but every kid deserves your best because they weren't, they're not showing up because they don't want to make the team, you know, they're showing up because they want to play here. And, um, you know, we bring something a lot different than a lot of organizations. It's more than a platform, um, you know, because there is a development process that goes along with them becoming Mustangs. Okay. All right. So down to my final question here on the JCare podcast, you know, all round trip has been in business for 30 years. I know in January, you guys had that 30th anniversary, but you know, as you guys look forward into the future for the rest of 2023, 24, 25, just these next two or three years or so, you know, what is that vision and some of those goals that you have for round tripper, for the Indiana Mustangs, even for university high school baseball, just, you know, looking forward in the future, what does that look like? Um, we want to continue to help every kid reach his fullest potential. Um, as a business, you're always looking for growth. Um, um, you know, uh, we are pretty much, I mean, I don't want to say, hey, we're booked, but, you know, we're, we're pretty good going into, you know, being in 23. Um, you know, we, we, we do, if organizations come in and they, you know, they want to be able to set a price. And so they have their budget set. We'll, we'll do three, five year deals with them. Um, so they know, Hey, the, you know, my training costs or my, you know, practice costs are not going to go up over these, this X number of years. Um, I mean, you, you look at the cost of tournaments now. I mean, it's insane. They they go up a couple hundred bucks every year. You know, we're always going off. Oh, when you're going in doing budgets for all the different teams, are we in line that all of our kids can go to exactly what they want to go to get the the their um the maximum exposure or maximum play? So. Um, you know, it, it, that, that's always that's always a tough part. But, you know, leading up into the next several years, I think if we just continue to do live by the values that we've set forth from day one, that we're going to help every kid that we possibly can. We're going to be we're, we're going to do well. You know, we've got a bunch of new programs that are going to kick off next year for youth. Um that we hadn't done before. And it's, it's, it's going to be really exciting. I, I've, I've already got people texting me and calling wanting to know how, Hey, how do we sign up for the five tool program and how do we get into this or how do we get into that? So um, it, it's going well. Okay. Awesome. Great to hear. And, you know, again, that's the final question here on the J care podcast. Super appreciative of you giving me your time. You know, like I said, you know, the three, three zoom segments here to get, to get it finished, but just thanks for coming on the show. Give me your time. And, you know, as you guys continuously grow with that miracle league and continuously grow with the Mustangs in for round tripper and, you know, try to make it to that state championship this year for university high school, I'll be following you guys, you know, best of luck when it comes to all that. But again, just, just thanks for coming on the J care podcast. Hey, I appreciate your time and thanks for having me.